Father, we do ask that you bless this time as we go, get into your word. Um, you want to speak to us, even though these words can be harsh and difficult. But Lord, um, it tells us something. There's something for us to take home here tonight. And I pray that right now, is sometimes it can be kind of hard and noisy and distracting to be around the, the computer. But we just pray for quiet. And we pray that we would be able to just uh, be blessed and be um, in every way in hearing your word as we study these chapters from Jeremiah. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jeremiah chapter 18, we do read that the word which came to Jer Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. In verse 3, and then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. So Jeremiah, at this time in his ministry, is told to go down to the potter's house and learn a lesson. The potter's house was the house where uh, the potter would make vessels, different cups, uh, plates, uh, bowls, uh, um, pitchers, but he would make vessels out of clay, and that's where you would go down to get these, these clay vessels, and he would uh, make these different vessels at the potter's house, and Jeremiah is told to go down there, learn a lesson. Of course, uh, they would do it much like it is today, those who work with clay, that a lump of clay would be put on a wheel, and he would have a pedal, and he would push that pedal with his feet, and the wheel would go round and round, and then he would begin with his hands to shape that lump of clay, and he would constantly put water on it, because if he didn't, the clay would become rigid and become hard and begin to dry out. So the more water he put on it, the easier it was to work, and he would just press on that clay and, and work it to where he would make a vessel. And here Jeremiah is told to go down, go down to the potter's house, learn a lesson, and this event probably took place during the reign of Jehoiakim. You see, after Josiah, who we've talked about, the last of the godly kings of Judah, when he was killed in about 609 B.C. by uh, the king of Egypt, Necho, and in the valley of Megiddo, it would be his son, Jehoahaz, that would come to the throne. Uh, he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. The nation plunged right back into idol worship and every kind of sinful action. But J.O.A. has only ruled for a few months. It would be after him, Jehoiakim, that comes to the throne and he rules for 11 years. And Jehoiakim, that he's ruling in Judah at the time of the first wave of captivity, when the Babylonians came in in 605 B.C., we know that there was three waves of captivity. First in 605 B.C. where Daniel and his friends were taken off into captivity. Uh, and Daniel, of course, and his friends, the choice men of Judah, would serve Nebuchadnezzar in the palace of Babylon. We know that a second wave took place in 597 B.C., and that's where Ezekiel the prophet would go off into captivity. We'll go into the book of Ezekiel after Jeremiah. And we also know that it was uh, Nebuchadnezzar that came and took some of the vessels and, and the things in the temple, the treasuries of the temple, 
away to Babylon. And during that time, Jehoiakim would be uh, taken captive back to Babylon as well. So all this takes place during his reign. And it is interesting that when Jehoiakim was reigning in Judah, he was, again, not right with the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. That Jeremiah had brought a scroll to him. We'll see that later on in the book of Jeremiah. And it was a scroll of prophecy. The Lord said, Jeremiah, write these words down concerning the kingdom and concerning Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim didn't like that, so he took a knife and he chopped up the scroll and he threw it into a fire. So Jeremiah, this is what you're to do. Go to the potter's house. The potter's going to have his wheel there, and he's going to be making a vessel, and he is going to be making these vessels there. And the vessel that the potter was making was ruined, so he makes a new vessel. You know, it's interesting as we consider this, and let's read in verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So we know from, you know, uh, this uh, story that, that God is saying, Listen, Jeremiah, learn a lesson, and it's this that I am the master potter, and we are the clay. He's likening the house of Israel to be a clay, but also you and I, that we are clay, and the Lord will fasten us into vessels of honor. So that's what he desires to do for his use as he sees fit. And a couple of things to remember that as we talk about that, that the Lord desires to shape you and me into vessels of honor, to be used of him that he desires to shape us and mold us, and we are clay, he's the potter. And the scripture talks about that in different places. Number one, in Romans chapter 9, that we see that as Paul is talking about the sovereignty of God, and the sovereignty in God can be kind of a difficult subject at times to, to try to understand. But in that, uh, he would say this, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay for the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? So here uh, is um, us being told that God is sovereign. But here's the thing to remember as he's likened to the master potter is God is not irresponsible. He's not arbitrary in what he does. His actions are sovereign, but remember that his actions are always consistent with his nature. And his nature is just and holy and wise and loving. And you are no mistake how God made you. And how he's working in you, informing you even now as you journey through life. And he is sovereignly working according to his will. And he desires for us to yield to him. And it's not always easy because that lump of clay, to shape it, there has to be pressure 
that is put on that lump of clay. And, and as he molds us, and of course, we know that God works all things for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And right now, you might be thinking, how is God working in this situation that all of us find ourselves in, that we've been going over over the last couple months? Listen, he is still wanting to work good in the bad. He didn't say he's going to just turn the bad into good. He's going to work good into the bad. And he desires to work all things towards good in eternity's perspective and views for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? To conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. For you to do his good pleasures, to be a workman for Christ Jesus, to really be used of the Lord and bring glory to him. And we need to yield to him because we don't always understand as we feel the pressure and, and pushing. Sometimes we want to lump, jump off the, the wheel or we want, don't want to yield to the potter's hands when he wants to do such an incredible work in our lives. We know in Romans chapter 11, verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Sometimes we want to criticize God for what he is doing, and we need to remember that he knows what it is that he is doing, and we need to completely yield to him. Don't resist the potter's hand, because he does want to do, as Ephesians 3 says, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And listen, there's a lot of talk today, and I want to read to you, because uh, from not only Jeremiah, but before Jeremiah, in Isaiah chapter 29, we hear a lot about, you know, uh, God didn't really make me this way. And we have those who come along and say, well, uh, I'm going to transgender or whatever the case may be, identify this because I don't like the way that I am. I, I'm not a man. I, I think that I should be a woman. I'm not a woman. I should be a man. And here's the thing. Even in Isaiah's day, as we read in chapter 29, verse 16, surely you have things turned around. Uh, here the people were saying, woe to those who seek deep, hide their counsel far from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, who sees us? Who knows us? And then surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? Sometimes people say, God made a mistake, or he has no understanding. I shouldn't be this way. I want to transgender. I, I want to do whatever. I want to identify with this group. And we see that today. And listen, God didn't make a mistake when he made you. He sovereignly made you. And he loves you. And he desires for you to be used in an incredible way to experience that abundant life that he has for you. And he is such a wonderful God that wants to do wonderful things out of his love for us. And, and I want to read to you from Psalm 139. As David, he, he talks about God's perfect knowledge of us and how he created us. For you have formed my inward parts. This is Psalm 139, verse 13. You covered me in my mother's womb. And I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. 
My frame is not hidden from you, Lord. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were written the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. And how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more numbered than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Listen, if this means anything to anyone, that the Lord formed you, wonderfully made you, and he loves you, and he has a plan for your life, if you just yield to him and let him do that work that he wants to do in you and through you. He wants to do more than you can ever do on your own. And one of the things that, first of all, is he's the master potter. Second of all, one of the things that helps the clay yield to the potter's hand is, as I've already mentioned, water on the clay. You know, if they don't put water on the clay, it gets hard and rigid and it's hard to work with. And for the Lord to be working in our lives that we are to constantly be taken in the water of the word. It will help you just yield to him, trust in him. Trust in his word and his promises for you as the Lord shapes you. And then thirdly, as I considered this, I can't help but think about what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, as Paul writes this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, or that is clay pots, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Listen, there's the excellence that is in the clay pots, and that is the power may be of God and not of us. This treasure that is in us earthen vessels is the Lord, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. The excellence, the treasure in the earthen vessel, the excellence of the power may be God and not of us. And you may be hard-pressed, but you're not crushed. You may be persecuted, but not forsaken. You may be struck down, but you're not done in and destroyed. Because you have the Lord that lives in your heart and the light and the truth and the power of God is to be manifested through you. It reminds me of the story of Gideon. A lot of us, we know that story, don't we? And Gideon with his 300 men uh, would circle around 145,000 Midianites there in, in, in northern Israel. And, and we know that they're greatly outnumbered. And Gideon, he said, listen, take the coals, put them in the clay pots and circle the, the Midianites. And when I give the sound of the trumpet and we give a shout, then break those clay pots and and the air rushing into the clay pots, the, the pots would ignite, the coals would ignite, and the light would come forth. And as they did that, and those 300 guys, they surrounded that large army, and then the trumpet blew, and, and the, there was the sound of, um, given by Gideon, and they broke those clay pots, and those coals ignited, and all of a sudden, 300 lights went up, and it was manifested, and they brought great victory to them. Listen, the Lord wants to bring victory to you in his time where we're facing an enemy. Not only in COVID-19, but the enemy comes against us, Satan. We know that he is trying to make us downcast and confuse us and, and for us to be hard-pressed on every side. And we have the light as we, even in our brokenness, 
manifest that light because we're earthen vessels. We're just all broken vessels, but we have this treasure, the light of Jesus Christ to shine forth. So here we have this lesson for Jeremiah that, that he's told to go down to the potter's house. And, and as we continue here in, in verse 7, uh, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it out, to pull it down, to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and conquer, concerning that is a kingdom to build and to plant it. In verse 10, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. And so God is sovereign over the nations, uh, and they are like clay in his hands. If a nation was told of judgment and, and repents, then I will relent from bringing judgment, verse 8. That was the case for Nineveh. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah says, I don't want to go. He gets in a boat. He goes the opposite direction to Tarshish. And a storm comes up, and the guys throw him over into the ocean. And a large fish came and swallowed him and took him over to the shores where he was supposed to go towards Nineveh. And there is Jonah. He goes there. He walks through this large city, probably about a million people at least. And he's walking through the city and he's saying, judgment is going to come in 40 days. Judgment's coming in 40 days. That was his message. So the king of Nineveh and the people of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian empire that Jonah hated. And, and he said, listen, we better repent. So they repented and God relented of the judgment that would come. Now later on in their history, they would go right back to their evil ways and they would be, you know, uh, taken to judgment. But here, you know, repent is what they were to do, but they are not repenting. If I promise to bless a nation such as he did with Israel and they do evil, judgment's going to come. And that was part of the Mosaic Covenant. So there is this sovereignty of God, but also we have the sovereignty of God and we have the free will of man. And every person has the choice to move towards God or away from the Lord. God's will be done and we have a will to either obey or disobey and don't fully understand how it all works, but we're not puppets. We do have a choice. And what I pray for you is that you would yield and say, Lord, I'm going to yield to you. I may not understand everything that you're doing, how you're shaping me, how you're using me, but I do know that I can trust you to the, your loving hands. And so he continues with the message in verse 11 of Jeremiah 18. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, everyone, from his evil way. Make your ways and your doings good. And they said that it's hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans, and we uh, will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart in verse 12. So God warns them, and his warning is rejected. Now, here's the thing. Was it rejected as they're saying that it's hopeless? 
Were they saying that just as an excuse? Oh, it's hopeless. So we're just going to go ahead and do the dictates of our evil hearts. We're going to do what we want to do. It could be that that's what they are saying. Or sometimes this does happen in people's lives. And listen, maybe you talk to others that maybe they think, I have sinned so much that the Lord will never forgive me. I have talked to countless people, and I'm sure some of you have as well, that they think, I'm such a miserable wretch. I have sinned so much. God could never forgive me. I might as well just continue in my evil ways or in my fleshly desires. Or I might as well just continue sinning because God will never accept me. He'll never forgive me. That is one of the tricks of the enemy. To think that you cannot come to the Lord. And I pray if you are feeling that, that you would know this. That the Lord desires for you to come. It's always to come. Even as the prodigal came home and the father went to the edge of the road in Luke's Gospels, he told that story to receive the son that came back and he's ready to receive you. It is never, never too late to turn back to the Lord and receive his love and his forgiveness. That's the message that he gives to you. It's never too late. And maybe you're ministering to somebody who's thinking because they believe the lies of the enemy, the enemy who's the accuser of the brethren, who accuses us day and night. Maybe the enemy's been saying, you can't come back to the Lord. You've been in the pig pen like the prodigal son. You smell, you stink, you're spiritual ways. God's not going to accept you. He will accept you if you truly turn to him and say, I want to come home. And I want to leave the pig pen and I want to leave the world and come back to the Lord. He says, come. And he's ready to receive you. But I pray that none of us are making an excuse of, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And it doesn't really matter. And I'm going to follow the dictates of our hearts. Listen, here's the thing. Sin will take you where you do not want to go. Will you always remember that? You see, it's a loving father that is saying, let me mold you, shape you, work in your life. Let me have you walk down the highway of holiness. That's where he wants to take you. If you walk the road of the world or of carnality, sin will take you where you do not want to go. And you'll find yourself being deceived and ripped off and cheated you will find yourself experiencing discouragement and defeat. And you'll be downcast. Not because I said so, because God's word says so. And he is saying through Jeremiah as we learn and apply this in our lives, don't go down the road of sin. Because it is bad news and you're going to get hurt. But follow after me. Allow me to shape you and mold you and to work in your life. They give your life real purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment. This Sunday, we're going to start the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We should mourn over sin. And so the Lord is saying, come to me, turn to me, love me and walk in my ways. See me working. Go down the highway of, of, 
of holiness is what he wants us to do, not to walk the ways of the world. And as we continue in verse 13, Therefore thus says the Lord, Ask now among the Gentiles who has heard such things. The virgin of Israel has done a horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for strange waters? You know, as you go to northern Israel, you get into the mountains. But in the very northern part of Israel, before you get into Lebanon, is Mount Hermon and a mountain range. And the snow's up there. And the freshing, uh, melting water comes down to the Jordan River, the headwaters, the fresh water, and flows into Israel. He says, are you going to leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? And literally, the water comes out of the rock there. Uh, at the headwaters and into the river and the cold flowing waters forsaken for strange water, you, you know, and uh, are you going to do that? Uh, are you going to, to reject the cool, freshen waters that I have to give for stale, polluted waters of idolatry? Will a man leave the, uh, that and because my people, verse 15, have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols. They have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient past, to walk in pathways and not on a highway, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and shake his head. And I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. And I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. And so we see here that Jeremiah uh, is continuing to say that it's going to the path that you're on and the road that you're on is going to lead to destruction. The Babylonians are going to come in. In verse 18, then they said, Come and let us devise plans against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us attack him with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. So the leaders of Judah are starting to come uh, up with a plan to silence Jeremiah. They are going to eventually throw him into a pit. They said, we need him to be silent. Remember that the false prophets and, and leaders on the scene were saying it's going to be peace. Everything's going to be okay. We have the temple. This is Jerusalem. Don't believe Jeremiah. They were teaching a prosperity type message. And they're saying, we've got to make sure that Jeremiah is silent. And we can, even as we give warnings to people sometimes, or give warnings in the direction that our nation is going. Because even before this, this COVID-19 pandemic you know, came, we were concerned about the spiritual condition of our nation. Continuing to get further away from the Lord. And we can talk about that and we can give warning concerning that. And a nation that rejects the Lord. And people will say, be quiet. Don't talk about sin. We want to live any way that we want. We want to pursue what it is that we want. And we know what that feels like. And Jeremiah, you know, you need to be quiet. He would be considered a traitor to the nation because of his message. A killjoy in their prosperity mentality. And then in verse 19 to the end of the chapter, 
Give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaid for good? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember that I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your wrath from them. I, I wanted them to receive the good message that I had, that you want to do good in the nation. You want them to turn away from that which is false. I spoke good to them. I stood before them and spoke these words and now they've dug a pit for me and they want to deliver up you know me to this pit and and they want to silence me and so here he begins to express in verse 21 you know honesty of his heart he says therefore deliver deliver up their children to the famine and pour out their blood by the force of the sword let their wives become widows and bereaved of their children. Let their men be put to death, their young men be slain by the sword in battle. Let a cry be heard from their houses when you bring a troop suddenly upon them, for they have dug a pit to, to take me and hidden snares for my feet. In verse 23, yet, Lord, you know all their counsel, which is against me to slay me. Provide no atonement for their iniquity, nor blot out their sin from your sight, but let them be overthrown before you. Deal thus with them in the time of your anger. And so Jeremiah, once again, he's expressing his heart of frustration. And here he leaves it with the Lord. He leaves it with the Lord. And, and you think, that's pretty harsh what Jeremiah is saying. I thought he was the weeping prophet. He is the weeping prophet. But as he's learning that they're going to persecute him and dig a pit, and he was trying to do good, he's just expressing his heart, those things that we can kind of feel when we see sin around us or those who persecute us. And here, these are harsh words, you know, deliver deliver up their children to the famine. You know, may their wives become widows and their men be put to death. Their young men be slain by the sword in battle. And he's saying what it is that's going to happen, but he's expressing the frustration. But then he does this. He says he knows the judgment is coming, but then he leaves it with the Lord. He says, Lord, you're going to deal with this. You, thus you deal with them in the time of your anger. Listen, what can we learn from this? We have in the Psalms, remember when we went through the Psalms, that David would express, you know, certain frustrations when the men would come against him and men lied about him and laid traps for him. And David would say, Lord, you smote them. You have them fall into their own traps. Lord, you break their teeth. And those were called imprecatory Psalms. Just, you know, David expressing the honesty of his heart at the frustration. And we can see things around us and things that happen to other people or the injustice or the evil or the darkness. And we can feel those kinds of thoughts, can't we? We think, Lord, you deal with them. You deal with that thing, the injustice, the darkness, the evil that is there. And we do that with the honesty of our hearts. But then it comes to a time where we've got to leave it with the Lord. Because he's perfectly capable of judging, even as they're going to find out, even as we will see that there is going to be a judgment. There's going to be a final judgment on this world and against the nations in the tribulation period. And we also know that every individual will be judged. He's perfectly capable of judging. 
And in those times where we feel frustrated and we see the evil and, and the you know, stuff going on, and we can have a righteous anger, you know, the injustice and the crime against kids and, and you know, all this stuff. And it is Ephesians 5 that tells us, be angry but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And the key is you don't want that anger to turn into wrath. But we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. And listen, you might be angry right now. You might be angry because of the decisions that are being made that affected your life. And we can get, you know, so angry at the governing authorities. We get angry with this decision. We get angry with that. It doesn't make sense to us. But please keep your eyes on the Lord. I have to do that. We all have to do that. And trust in the Lord. He is our help. He's our certainty. He's our strength. He's everything that we need. And he is big enough to take care of your needs and to work in your life. And as I consider this, there's one other thing that it shows me that I can learn from this chapter. And it's simply this. That you and I as Christians, that we are to hate sin. I think that sometimes that when we see all this stuff around us in culture and it gets accepted, that we can kind of wink at sin or... You know, it's, sin's not a big deal. Everybody's doing it. We never want to go there. We are to hate sin. What it does to people, what it does to families, what it does to nations. And I think that's what Jeremiah is expressing. I hate this. I hate this false teaching, this, this you know, sacrificing children on the arms of Baal and Moloch that he's going to speak about here in the next chapter. I, I hate this false message. I hate what is done to our nation. Coveting and violence and the sins that have been listed here and taken away from truth. And it shows us that we are to hate sin, what it does to our kids, what it does to our families, what it does to our nation. It's not right. It's not right, and it's not supposed to be that way. But we are to be ones that we desire for there to be righteousness and light and truth in the lives of people. Chapter 19, very quickly, and thus says the Lord, go out and get a potter's earthen flask and take some of the elders of the people, some of the elders of the priests, and go out to the valley of the son of Himmon, which is by the entry of the postured gate, and proclaim there the words which I tell you. And say, hear the words of the Lord, O King of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place. And whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. In verse 4, because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place. Because they have burned incense to, in it to other gods whom neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah have known and have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. So here Jeremiah is told, he's going to be given this illustration. You take one of those pots 
You go down to the potter's house. He's going to be making a vessel, but take one of those pots, earthen flasks, and you go with the elders and the leaders of Judah to the valley Hemon here, uh, the valley of the sons of Hemon, which is the valley of Gehenna that we read about in the Old Testament. It was the valley that you remember that we've already seen that the Lord has rebuked them for sacrificing their children on the arms of Moloch and Baal in the valley of Gehenna of Gehenna, of, of the valley of the sons of Hemon. As you go to Jerusalem, uh, and on the east side of the old city of Jerusalem was the Kidron Valley. And if you cross the Kidron Valley, you would go up the slopes of the Mount of Olives. There was the Garden of Gethsemane. But the Kidron Valley flows to the south and continues south down to the Dead Sea. Uh, it leads down into that. Uh, and then also, as it then hooks that valley, there's a valley that hooks and begins to go west towards the Mediterranean there in Jerusalem. And it is on the south end of the city. And it's a very beautiful park now. You can take a walk in there. It's very beautiful. But that's where the garbage heap was. That's where they burned trash. That's where they're sacrificing their, their own children in the arms of, of Moloch and Baal. He says, you go there to this place that's a dump, this place that smells of death, this place where, you know, trash is burned, where they're sacrificing the innocent, the place of the blood of the innocents, verse 5, they also have built on the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or speak, nor did it come to my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet in the valley of the son of Hemon, but the valley of slaughter. And I will make void the council of Judah and Jerusalem in this place, and I will cause them to fall by the sword before their enemies and by their hands. Of those who seek their lives, their corpse, I will give meat as the birds of heaven and for the beasts of the earth. And I will make this city desolate and a hissing. Everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hissed because of its plagues. Verse 9 of the chapter, and I will cause them to eat the flesh of their sons and the flesh of their daughters and everyone shall eat the flesh of his friend in the siege and in the desperation with which their enemies and those who seek their lives shall drive them to despair. And so it's not an easy message. Impending disaster is going to come because you have forsaken God, worship idols, desecrated the temple, offered your children on the altar's fires, and now it will be called the Valley of Slaughter. When the Babylonians come and siege and they would starve and they would even be given over to, to, you know, survival to cannibalism, eating their own children. Take this flask and break it. There's going to be great destruction, devastation and death. And so as he does that, as we read in verse 10, then you shall break the flask in the sight of the men who go with you. And say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, even so I will break this people in this city as one who breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in the Tophet till there is no place to bury. And thus I will do to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants, and make this city like Tophet. And the houses of Jerusalem and the houses of the king of Judah shall be defiled like the place of Tophet, because all of the houses on whose roof they have burned incense to all the host of heaven and poured out drink offerings to other gods. 
And then Jeremiah came to Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy. And he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on this city and all her towns all the doom that I pronounced against it, because they have stiffened their necks, that they may not hear my words. Listen. He gives the same message to the temple area, that it's going to be very devastating. You're going to be broken because you have turned to other gods because you have burned incense to them and you have forsaken me in my word. And it's interesting that he says that you take that pot and you are to break it. In verse 10, break the flask in the sight of the men is what he says. And even so, I will break this people in the city as one breaks potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again. I want to go back to chapter 18, where we were talking about the potter's house and, and the potter making vessels. And he says that he made the clay was marred in the hands of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Listen, I, I just want to end with this, with some good news. Every single one of us, when we were born, we were marred in the sense that we're sinners. Every single one of us were born sinners. And the Lord desires for us, for us marred, broken vessels that are sinners to make us new. And how does that happen? By yielding to him. You see, I want you to consider this. Well, I don't know if I, God wants to, I want God to mold me and shape me and make me new. I want you to consider this, that the potter's hands, the master potter's hands, have nail marks in them. Because he went to a cross to die for you because of his love for you. And if you doubt that he wants the very best for you, that he desires to work in doing good and doing what is right, and out of his love for you, look at those nail marks because Jesus went to the cross to die for you because all of us were crackpots. We were marred. We were sinners. And, and the, the, the feet of the potter that pushed that pedal so the wheel would go around, it has a nail mark as well as he was pinned to that cross because of his love for you. And as we come in faith saying, I surrender to you that I am a sinner and Lord, sin has caused death in my life because Ephesians chapter 2 says we were spiritually dead, that the wages of sin is death, but he has made us alive because we have come to him and we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any of us should boast. And he desires for us to come in faith, believing in him, asking for forgiveness. And then the scripture says that we become a new creation and a vessel of honor for him. He wants to do so much in your life. Look at those nails in his hands and you can trust him with your life for forgiveness and bring you into right relationship with the Father and have the hope of heaven. Sin brings death. That's what I read from this. And it brings spiritual death to us. But he brings life as we come in faith. Come to him if you've never done that.
So, Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that we can learn from Jeremiah. And you are the master potter. You sent your son to, to come, and his hands were pierced in his feet. And we can yield ourselves to you, Lord, to the Son of God, the, the light of Jesus Christ, this treasure in earthen vessels. But, Lord, I do want to pray if there's anyone who's listening right now, that he made you the way that you are. He loves you. You are wonderfully made, and he thinks about you. And he loves you so much that he went to the cross to die for you and for your sins. Will you come to him if you've never done that? Will you come to him and yield to him and come in faith and ask for forgiveness because sin brings death, spiritual death to us. And it will certainly end up bringing death to us physically. But it will bring death to your soul because this world will not bring life and true satisfaction, fulfillment. Only Jesus, he loves you. Will you come to him, call out to him that you may be forgiven? I don't care what you've done. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that you can't be forgiven. You come right now and you call out to him. And you say, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me, for I know that I am a sinner. And I believe that you died for me and you rose again and you're alive. And I want to yield my life to you totally as the master potter, shaping me and molding me to a vessel of honor. You love me. You created me the way I am. I now identify with you not with anything of the world or my own ideas or the world's philosophy or what's, you know, culture is saying is acceptable. I yield and I identify with you, Lord, the risen Lord. I belong to you and I belong to another kingdom, the kingdom of God. So I thank you for bringing me to the family of God. And I thank you for saving me. And I want to walk with you all the days of my life. And Father, I just pray for all of us that we would look to you because we can trust our lives and what you're doing even now and even in the midst of difficulties to keep our eyes on you when we get angry or we get full of anxiety and fear that we just look to you because you are the great God that loves us, wants to work in our lives, that is going to provide for us, that you're going to provide for the church, for us to be a light, even in the brokenness of our lives, as us as earthen vessels, clay pots are broken and cracked, that this treasure, that the power of God may be manifested. People would look at us and see the reality of Jesus, and we can share with them the good news of the gospel and the truth of your word. I pray you bless everyone and that you would just continue to strengthen us and bless us in every way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And amen and amen. Hey, just want to remind you once again. Before